Cool. So, I guess 36 hours ago, um, I was on a flight coming back from Louisville, Kentucky, and um, there were a couple storms that had been coming through this. I'm looking over here at folks that I know that actually have connection to Kentucky, which I don't really. Um, we got in this plane, and uh, well, first I was supposed to fly back to Austin, so I was meeting with a little soccer club in Louisville, and first off, we get to the airport, and flights just leave at 8. They delay the flight to like 9.45. They say, there's nothing coming out of Dallas, nothing leaving Dallas. There's this tornado watch going on. So we're like, okay, great. So t- Louisville's the si- airport size where after 9 o'clock, there are no other flights. And it's also a place that if you enjoy bourbon, it's a great place to... Well, on top of that, they turn... All the restaurants get, go out at 8.30 in the airport. So everyone's sitting there making jokes about, wouldn't it be great if we were in Louisville to enjoy something to drink while we have to wait here and wonder if we get home? No one can even do that. So we sit there till 9.45. So, okay, we're going to flight. We're going to have to go around this storm. So we're going to go down through Mississippi and come up through the eastern part of Texas into Dallas, which then I have to connect to come to Austin. And um, but it should be like, you know, extra 30 minutes, no problem. So we got in the flight. And it's one of those regional jets, you know, operated by American Airlines, <laughs> not American Airlines. So, so we get in the jet and you're flying fine. I say, okay, the first 45 minutes should be great. And so should the last 45 minutes. It's that middle 15 to 20 minutes that we're going to have some turbulence. So just want you guys to be prepared. And so we get in the flight, and you start, we start flying. And it's like, okay, we're, we're going to start going right down Mississippi. They're communicating with us. And I said, okay, hey, uh, some turbulence should be coming up. Make sure your seatbelts are on. And I, can't, I mean, it starts going like, I don't know, you, like this kind of thing. And you're like, oh, this feels more like a prop plane than an actual jet. <laughs> And like, okay, no big deal. And Aisha was asking me what I enjoyed. She's, she hates turbulence. I don't like it either, but I know that this would have been awful had she been there. Because what happened next was the plane took an actual nosedive. And I looked up and everyone was in the air with everyone but your seatbelt lets you up. Everyone was up. The toilet in the back stuff came out into the back of the plane and... Fortunately, there were only like, you know, 41 of us on the plane, which is all the worse because I just assume like, you know, no one really do planes crash with like 350 people on them. It's always like, oh, there were like 28 people, sadly. And they, you know, and it's like, yeah, this is the 28 people <laughs> flying from Louisville on a Friday night. Um, they get the plane going and then they're like, okay, great. Everyone, I mean, at the end of the flight, they literally, the person up front, the, uh, one of the stewardesses came up and said, I found this book uh, up at the very front of the plane, and someone from like section 39 comes walking up the plane to go pick up the book. That was the kind of nosedive that we did in the flight. But um, literally, we, we, we kept going. They were like, we have to go down to Mexico, and so we come up. I mean, this is this, is, but we're like flying all the way after this has happened, and we're watching this like sky of just like lightning. And it feels like Especially when you're in a plane that's moving like this, I see people who are like clenching and going, "Oh, I can't even imagine." Um, it, but I was, it, I, this is not actually hope, by the way. This is not, <laughs> this is not the definition of hope because I was sitting there thinking to myself all the time, like, "I hope that we get there." Uh, I'm starting to doubt whether that's truly going to happen. There's the less of the confident expectation now and more of the, uh, you know, roll the dice and hope it comes up the right number kind of thing. But we got there and um, missed the flight. And uh, got to Dallas at 12.30, slept for three and a half hours, then got on the next flight, came to Austin yesterday morning, still alive. So that's a good thing. And I'm glad to be with you guys today. Um, 
Never been on a nosediving plane before. Um, so yeah, we're talking today about hope at the beginning of Advent. Um, I thought that would sound kind of fun. It's a good way to kind of transition in because I think it helps us to both maybe laugh, maybe also feel a little bit of stress because sometimes the season of Advent can be stressful, and then realize like what actually is hope. And um, I realized this week in going back, we have a great, done a great job of kind of keeping the concordance of sermons that have come since, I mean, from five years back or something. I'd forgotten that I actually gave a sermon on hope in 2015. So I went back and listened to some of it, and I was like, oh, that's terrible. So none of that's going to come out today. Um, um, you can learn from your, your past and make changes. Um, no, so, so, but starting out, kind of what is hope, right? And I think when I was on that flight, I thought a little bit about that, and I realized in thinking through some things that um, hope for many of us, we use that word a lot, and I don't always know that if you ask me to define it, especially like, what does God mean by hope when we talk about it in Advent, is my definition and what I think maybe Scripture uses Advent, when God's people use the word hope, does it mean the same thing? And so um, I'll stop there and say, what do you guys think hope is? Because I have like three or four different definitions, and I think we're going to get into what, like context of Scripture, so no one's going to be wrong. Yay! Everyone gets orange slices. And... And, but no, it really, like, what do you, when you use the word hope, what, what is, how do you use it most often? My, my daughter is answering as best she can. You guys can do this. Um, positivity. positivity. Faith. Faith. Like belief in something that you can't see. Belief in something you can't see. That's good. Something good comes out of it. Something good comes out of it. Maybe, like, confident expectation. Wow. Did you look up the... One of my... <laughs> Anticipation is good. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, how in the world did you... I would never have come up with confident expectation and I not looked this up six different times. And Oh, yeah. Um, but when you use it, you say, like, hopefully this happens. I feel like that was kind of like my feeling on the flight. It was like, oh, hopefully we get there okay. Like, I don't know, it's like an expression of like, of, I think you said this earlier this morning, but a reminder of like, a kind of like a wishful thinking, like a positivity Yes, we, we hope this works. Um, we hope they catch that pass. We hope we win the game. We hope we get the job. We hope we, you know, whatever it might be. But it's not like, oh, it's totally going to happen when we use the word hope most of the time. At least I don't use it that way. But I think in looking this up, um, a couple of different things came, came through. Confident expectation was a unique one, but I think it also reflects some things, a patient but active waiting. And by active waiting, I think what we... we think about that is not just sitting there and, you know, you're taking steps towards something happening as best you can because you believe it to be happening, um, but also knowing that maybe you're not in complete control of when it happens. Um, and I think the one, the one piece that I think is, is really helpful today is um, maybe being present in the possibility of the moment. Because when you expect for something to happen and you don't know when it's going to happen, you want to be prepared for its happening. And I think in a season like this of Advent, talking at the beginning about hope, the idea that God wants to do something in us right now, as well as the reflection on the fact that he, we're celebrating a time where he is coming to do something that everyone has been waiting for. Um, we don't just want to wait 24 days to experience what God is doing. We want to experience it now. So thinking about hope is that. Maybe, maybe this uh, confident expectation that makes us active in the present moment, for the present moment's possibility. And so as we're talking today, just think about, give them maybe the back of your mind. Like, what is, 
what is God doing in this moment that, that connects to, to my hope in him? And how can I be a part of it? Um, okay, so I'm going to be honest. with all, I, I, I struggle sometimes when there's just like a single thing to talk about because there's so many ways to go about it. So at the beginning of Advent, thinking about hope, it's like distilling something huge down into the right now, the, that possibility. So basically, I'm going to be speaking on the possibility of any, any possibility at this present moment from Scripture to us and how God leads. But that wasn't funny at all. Dang it. Um, too many words. Um, so, so a couple things. Starting out, there's a song called My Deliverer by Rich Mullins. Have anybody heard that song before? So this is, oh, cool. okay, there are a few folks that are like, yeah, Rich. Did you hear, did you hear? Oh, well. True. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, <laughs> it is a classic. Um, I couldn't get that song. There's a lot of songs around this, but but I was looking and thinking about this from from how do we connect hope and Advent and what that has looked like for God's people throughout time. And this song. Um, the first verse of this song, and Rich, do y'all know who Rich Mullins is? Um, you have to like have grown up in the church to know Rich Mullins, I think, at this stage. But um, really cool guy, worth looking up, kind of his biography. But uh, musician, poet, just somewhat prophetic, I think, would be a fair way of assessing his, um, his life. But he had passed away in a car accident in 1995, and they had this, he was working on a CD called The Jesus Record. And all these folks within music came together to like put the songs that he had recorded together. And one of the ones that he'd recorded was a song called My Deliverer. And anyway, it's a beautiful song. Listen to it today, um, or I'll send it out to you. But the first li- lines of the song go like this. Joseph took his wife and their child, and they went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king. There along the banks of the Nile, Jesus listened to the song that the captive children used to sing. This is, they were singing, My Deliverer is Coming. My Deliverer is Standing By. It's way better when the children are singing that part of the song. A little bit more emotional than me talking it through. But um, I think starting that out, starting from that position, realizing that in Scripture, hope is something that's constantly being connected to God's people. From the very, very beginning of being in Egypt to when Jesus is coming, and he is in, and we, do we know this? Jesus actually lives in Egypt. He is a refugee from Israel, and then it comes back after Herod has passed away and uh, begins later his ministry. But this idea that God's people need to be delivered, that we all need deliverance from something, that we all have a hope that this deliverance will, will come, um, is central to who we are. It's central to our faith. It's central to the hope that we have. Um, but I think maybe starting from that point and trying to maybe be more personal about that is, like, Sometimes when I think of the Advent season, I don't think about being present in the possibility of this moment. I think of, like, what's going to happen when I travel for Christmas in three weeks? What's going to happen when, like, how am I going to experience? I'm so glad that I get to experience this holiday. But I don't think of it as a time for my hope to be fulfilled. I don't know. Like, I, don't, I think of it maybe way too historically, and I don't, I, I don't press into the moment itself and the season itself, this opportunity to think about hope as a real present possibility in my own life. And so the other side of that is, um, other side of hope is a word despair that we all hate. But, but sin, 
or just whatever I need to be delivered from, is, I think it's, it's a present challenge for all of us. And so maybe starting from that point of saying, what can, what do I need God to deliver me from? Where am I hoping for God to come and change my life, to bring me, to redeem me from something? And then even us as a church, how do we think about what God is doing, what we're hoping for him to do, what we believe in expectation he's doing in this body of people that we're then living out and being present for in our neighborhoods, with our families, in this moment, but also the moment we go out to eat after the service. Um, I think something else that kind of comes out of this for me, um, yeah, where are you hoping for Jesus to come? Like, where, where are you hoping that he will deliver you or someone next to you? Um, yeah. Well, I just said that reminded me of Kermit the Frog. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a, so I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is going to be the most scatterbrained hopes, but that's, but that's part of it, I think. Um, there's another book, a guy named uh, Eugene Peterson, who you guys, some of y'all have heard of. If you're in our Water and Wine group, you know that I like to read from the message all the time. That's a uh, uh, translation that he did of scripture, more of an essential translation than a word for word. But um, he talks about it in a book called Along Obedience in the, sa- in the Same Direction. He goes through the Psalms um, in a song of a sense that Israel would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which was the highest point in Israel. Um, and along the way, Psalm 120 through Psalm 135, I believe it is, are all these songs the people would sing as they would make these ascents. Because what, hap- what happened was everyone from all over the, the country would be coming up, coming to coming to this place to worship God and be redeemed, be cleansed, know that God was going to be there for them. And I'm struck by the fact that throughout those verses, the word hope is used onwards and upwards, legitimately and literally for those people. Um, Psalm 130 says, my soul waits for the Lord and in his word I put my hope uh, more than the watchman waits. And at the end of this, this verse, he says, Israel, put your hope in God. For in him is unfailing love. So I think that's interesting because the connection of hope to God is because his love is unfailing. You, you can trust his promise. Um, and similarly, if you guys have ever read the book of Lamentations, because that sounds like a book all of us would want to read, right? Um, the similar verse says um, in chapter 3, But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And so this idea, as these people are going, as you're going through life, as, as they're climbing towards this place to be with God, um, these ideas, O Israel, put your hope in God. The next chapter, next chapter in Psalms says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Um, the reason we hope in God is because his love is unfailing. His steadfast love never ceases. And I think one of the challenges I've had with some of these passages and thinking about this and being a bit scatterbrained has been, I don't know that I've been hoping very deeply in God. Like, I, I'm not empathizing with this like, oh my gosh, I need God to forgive me. I need, I need to be closer to God. I need God to rescue me because... Um, 
there's an, a power imposing themselves upon my family's life and the life of my community, and I can't do anything about it. Um, I think a, a, lot of the, a lot of reading of Scripture, if you can't put yourself in the position of people like Israel in Egypt or under Roman authority, um, it can be really difficult. And I feel like I've been noticing that as I read through Scripture is this is all fantastic, but then when I think about it for myself today, sometimes I just don't, I don't get as close to it. You know, I, I, I'm not the refugee trying to get into another country, um, although Jesus was. Um, I'm not currently going hungry at night because of economic scenarios that are really tough on me. All those things that like, are, are not tangential, but right in the hands of people who are trying to worship God and ask for God and hope in God and have this constant expectation that he will be there. He will not break his promise. I think I walk around like all those promises have been fulfilled. So isn't that great? We celebrate that God has done these things. It's awesome. The other side of that, though, is when you read the New Testament, you see God's people after Jesus has come talking about him coming again and being really excited about that. Like, you could come anytime. Like, this is so great. Like, our, our glorious Savior will come. I think it says in... Um, Oh, goodness, there's so many, I wrote down so many verses about this. Um, this discussion about, you know, Israel, God could, be, God could be here for us, our Savior will come back and glorify all of us at any time. And they're saying this in the midst of being persecuted by Romans, people are dying and being put in prison because they believe in Jesus and say, hang on, like, he's going to be here. Like, he's going to deliver us and he's going to bring this kingdom to earth. And I think we talk about this, or I talk about, oh, this, this kingdom life, this amazing kingdom that God promises and is here, and that he will come to fully bring to fruition. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when you hear that, like, oh, he will come again, I'm like, ah, hang on, God. Why don't you, hope, why don't you hope, hope for that to come, and you can wait a little bit so I can enjoy a bit more of some of the things that I'm doing here. Sometimes that doesn't always, if I'm honest, sound like what I want today. I don't know if I'm thinking about it wrong or if I just have like a, a, I mean, a rich young ruler mindset, but I feel like I intelligently want God, like I hope that God will do all these things, and, but the other end of it, it's like, ah, yeah, I want this kingdom, but, but you know, if this brings everything together and does a lot, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way that life's going right now. Um, and... I should have brought a couch up here and I could have sat in it and you guys could have listened and taken notes on my issues. But, but really, though, I think, um, I think it's really challenging to recognize Advent as a pilgrimage or, as a, or to put oneself in a, like a place of need if you don't think that you have a need. Like, hope is connected to need. I hope for something because I need God to do something in my own life that isn't happening. And if I'm not aware of it, if I'm not aware that I have a need, I might just walk up to Jesus and say, hey, so Jesus, um, I've done all these things. What else did I need to do? You know, life's pretty good. Um, And I think at the end of the day, your hope is always placed in the hands of your God. What I mean by that is like we can have different gods than God. So what am I worried about a lot of times? And maybe we can ask ourselves that question. What, What does your week look like? When you say, I hope things happen... What am I hoping for and who am I hoping in? Um, for me, sometimes I hope that uh, my team wins this weekend. I hope that this deal closes at work. 
Like, if I'm really honest, like, these are the things that, like, sit in my mind for long periods of time, and then I spend a bit of time in Scripture before you're supposed to talk on Sunday, and you think, oh, wait a second, um, I'm not hoping for a lot of the things that I really want to be hoping for. Sometimes I want to want to hope the right way. Um, but I think, I think it's important for us to be able to go back and recognize, again, um, that's okay, that, that Jesus brings this steadfast love that never ceases, and that we don't have to beat ourselves up about the things that, that lack. In fact, like, that's why Jesus is coming, is when we realize those things, that he truly does want to redeem us and deliver us from even a mindset of apathy, which for me may be the, maybe the, the deepest issue that I see in my own life, is things are pretty okay. So when I read these verses, they're really nice and they're a great story, but I'm not, I'm not letting these get deep enough into my soul. God, help me to deliver me from apathy. Deliver me from going home and caring more about the scores on the NFL this Sunday afternoon than knowing you and really believing that I, when I sing that song about um, better is a moment that I spend with you than a million... I mean, is that, am I really being present in that moment with God? Or am I distracting myself into a place of great stories that I intellectually believe, but when I walk them out, I'm not hoping for. Um, someone tell me the time. Well, I'm, I have a tendency to talk for a long period of time when I get on the couch, and you, you know, it costs more money at those places when you, when you go over, so I'll have to pay you guys. Um, like, yes, keep talking. How much? Um, no, so a couple things that I think Jesus does um, that I want to make sure we, we touch on here before we go. Um, Three, three things, and uh, Linda, your, your uh, reflection this week was really, really awesome for me considering how do I connect this to, to Jesus coming? How does, what does hope look like? And um, you're about all these people that Jesus comes to, uh, and these people who have been waiting or who have been very, very challenged have had a lot of difficulty. And, uh, and it reminded me that there are people around us, including ourselves sometimes, who have these long difficulties that we've either shut away and some subconsciously don't even think about or that we actually are in a time of great struggle and are asking for prayers and are in prayer about that very struggle right now. Um, and again, to connect this back, this, is, this hope is all of Israel to Christ's coming. And so we have verses like in Isaiah for it says, you know, for, us a, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and they will call him Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, um, this beautiful verse in Isaiah 61, where it says, and he will bind up the brokenhearted, he will set free the captives, and he will release from darkness the prisoners. Um, that's who Jesus is. And so when Jesus comes, we have these great stories that we recall. One of my all-time favorites that you mentioned is, is the woman at the well. And Jesus comes to this, wo- this woman, and he reveals exactly who he is to her. If we go throughout Throughout the Gospels, he rarely tells anyone. In fact, he tells them the opposite. Don't tell them that I did this for you. He didn't even tell them who he is. But he says, don't say that I healed you. Don't say that I did something special for you. Um, but he comes to this woman at the well, and she's been completely downtrodden by six men and goes and hides, basically comes during the time of day when no one would come to the well so that she doesn't have to be seen. 
And then what happens? Jesus meets her, tells her that he loves her, that he sees her when she wants to be unseen, that God sees her and loves her, and then says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. When she says, oh, when the Messiah comes, the the one who's been promised, he'll tell us everything. He says, I am he. And, you know, there he is. He's, He's binding up her broken heart. And then we come to a woman who's been bleeding for years and years and years. And it's described in Scripture, she's used up most of the dollars she had to try to figure out this ailment, and nothing has worked, and people have probably taken advantage of that scenario. And she has this hope that if she could only touch this, the robe of this man, Jesus, that she's heard about, she will be healed. And so she goes into the streets, and these, these crowds are following Jesus. And I mean, everyone, if you were out on Black Friday or you read about it, those are days where crowds, you know, people, this is, it shouldn't be making light of it, it's really insensitive of me, but people get run over like, by people in those scenarios. When people really need something and they really are hoping to get something, maybe more less important than healing, but people stampeding streets. And this woman who's been bleeding for 30-something years goes out in those streets and gets on her hands and knees because she can't push through the people and gets to Jesus and hopes just to touch his cloak. And she touches, well, wasn't wearing something like this, but he touches, touches something like, like a long robe and doesn't even touch his hand. And he says, who, who touched me? Because he sees and feels that someone has hoped in him and that her faith has made her well. And he asks for her to, to, to find her. And she, she lets herself be known. And that's Jesus um, setting free the captive, someone captive by disease, captive by culture. Um, and then you have a, a situation like, uh, y'all remember the, the, the chapter in John, where, I think it's John 8, where there's a man who's born blind. And we always talk about it like, well, disciples asking, well, whose sin caused him to be born blind? Because, of course, like, you know what? Whose sin caused him to be born poor? Like, wh- whatever it might be that we would say today, like, however we think of those things, um, <clears throat> this man's born blind, and Jesus' response is, this man has been born blind so that God's glory would be shown in him. And so he's sitting there on the street waiting for somebody, hoping that someone will give him money for food. And Jesus comes to him and t- takes mud and spittle and makes his eyes so that he can suddenly open them and see for the first time in his whole life. And um, that's Jesus releasing uh, the prisoners from darkness. And that's, that's the kind of hope that we are celebrating and stepping into in the Advent season is knowing that God is coming to us and he wants to set us free um, from whatever prison that we've allowed ourselves to be put in or we've been put in ourselves. Um, He wants to release us from darkness that makes us think that we're less than who he says that we are. He wants us to um, open our hearts and the wounds of our hearts to be healed because he is the healer. And those are things that we don't often share with anyone else, but maybe this is a season for you to pray that with God and trust him that he is a God who we call the great physician. Um, And beautifully, um, even someone like John the Baptist, and um, I know I've spoken on this before, but he gets put in prison. Uh, In Luke 7, he he sends word to Jesus, um, and he says, hey, by the way, Jesus, um, can you guys can you guys just ask him like, is he the one like that we've been hoping for, or should we expect someone else? Because it's getting really challenging here in prison, and I'm probably not going to make it. So, 
Uh, I'm not saying he hoped like I hoped on the plane because I don't think I was in that position. But, you know, that type of thing where you go, this might not end well for me. So I want to make sure, hey, one more time, Jesus, can I put my hope in you? And what does Jesus do? He sends word back through John's disciples and he says, tell John this. Um, The wounds of the brokenhearted are being bound. The captives are being set free. And the prisoners are are being, uh, being released from darkness. He quotes from Isaiah back to John, because he knows John will know exactly what he's talking about, because the hope that John has, the hope that John is living for, and the hope that Israel has had throughout time are these things, that there would be a Messiah, there would be someone who would come and deliver them. And so I love to go back to that My Deliverer song, because in Egypt, people were praying for and hoping for a Savior, a Deliverer, someone. And when Jesus, after being born, goes to Egypt, and the scripture says, out of Israel I called my son, it was from that same place that God was saying, no, 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 I'm not going to just deliver you, Israel, I'm going to deliver the world. And so the world includes all of us. And so as we think about this Advent season, as we prepare to step into this, it's now December 2nd, um, as a church, what are we hoping for? Indeed, what what are we actually hoping for? Do our lives reflect the hope that we have um, when we congregate together during the week? Um, Are we asking God to show us where he's present and we can join him? Or is there something on our hearts that we're asking him to be present in? Because you, you rarely hope for what you don't pray for. I don't know that those two can happen without the other. Um... And taking that to another step today, what, what are you hoping for? Like, really, like, how, do you, how do we step into the season without asking ourselves, like, God, what, what, are, you, what are you hoping for? Is it, is it hoping for a better relationship with a family member? Is it hoping to, to be knocked senseless out of, a, out of a senseless apathy and into a recognition of who God actually is and what he wants to do in the world? Um, are you hoping to be able to speak about something you've never spoken about before with someone? Just, um, are you wanting to be set free from something that you just can't seem to stop doing? All, all these things God has power over. And that's why we celebrate Christ's coming, because that's who he is. He is God in flesh. He is um, our hope. And so when we read John, Romans twelve twelve, and it says, Rejoice uh, in hope. Um, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. That's, that's my prayer for us, too, um, as I think about what hope looks like. Because when we hope right now in God, he's present in the possibility on our heart. He is constant with us in the waiting, and I think he's on the other end, defining hope the same way, because he has a, an expectation that is constant, and he knows who we are. He knows how many hairs are on our head and he's ready to meet us in that moment. So why don't we just bow our heads here um, real fast. I'd love to just pray for us um, as we step into Advent as a church season. Father, I just want to give us a moment to think about um, what we're hoping for and who we hope in. 
Whatever that looks like for us right now, Father, um, I just thank you that, that your love is, is steadfast, that, it's, uh, that you can be trusted, that you come to us to fulfill the longings of our heart, that we have examples of people whom, Jesus, you, you healed and you met and you set free, that we also have examples of people like Simeon who waited all their lives just to see you, waited patiently, hoped um, truly, and prayed continually. And so I just pray, Father, right now in this moment that we would rediscover what that hope looks like, that we would be present with you in the possibility uh, that you can set us free, that you can use us to help others wherever they are, that you can teach us as a church to hope together for greater things because you say it in your word um, that we will do greater things even than you. And that's, I hope that we can believe that. And I know that we will. So Father, I'm grateful for the fact that we can trust you this season, that there are things you want to do in each of our lives and the life of this church and that you never fail. And just ask that you would um, continue to teach us and stay close to us. I know that on the other end, you're, you're there waiting patiently and rejoicing in the same hope. Um, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, so now we're going to have um, the lighting of our, our candle for Advent, um, the hope candle. Um, I'm realizing that, ah, there it is, we can light it. So we have the Townsends who are going to do that for us right now. And so each, each week of Advent as we go through this, whether it be hope, peace, joy, and love, um, we light the Advent ca- candle to uh, remind us um, of the journey that we're on, of the pilgrimage that we're on during this season um, as we celebrate what God is doing, what God has done, and what he will do uh, in our lives. Um, so now we're going to step into a time of communion. Um, I think we're going to put the words on the screen, but if you guys um, just use this time just, just to re- be reminded that, that the table is open to all of us, just like this moment is open for all of us to come to God where we are um, and to know that he's there waiting um, uh, and loving us. So um, I'm going, you, you, whenever you're ready, we're going to read this together and then uh, we'll play two, a couple songs, and as you feel led, um, go back, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and enjoy communion um, here with us. Um, so, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For your goodness, Father, we have this bread and cup. May we know your presence in our sharing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come.